0: is user base in decline facebook's user base in decline amazon's e-commerce revenues in decline so you're seeing the big tech growth trajectory crest and start to come down the other side that's why the stocks are falling they were priced as unstoppable Mm -hmm. invincible tech giants that nobody was ever going to catch but guess what Small disruptive tech startups are catching them and they're leaving a dent. That's bad news for big tech. That's great news for small tech.
1: What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke. Lango, Luke, how are the BIPs doing today? Uh, Stock market's getting getting crushed
0: today, but you're seeing pockets of strength where we're expecting to see pockets of strength, and that's in the most washed-out sectors of the market. So a lot of the hyper-growth stocks are actually producing quite a bit of alpha today. I think that's a trend that will persist for the foreseeable future. We'll talk about
1: that divergence 2022 baby awesome i can't wait to talk a little bit more about divergence and a few of our other topics and i'm looking forward to getting into all that in just a few moments but if this is your first time joining us Hypergrowth investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst luke lango each week we take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations electric vehicles cryptocurrencies the metaverse and more nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcasts. So make sure to hit like and subscribe to get hypergrowth investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator, lifelong learner, and your proxy into the mind that is the Luke Lango. Luke, got a ton of things to cover. So let's dive right in. Um, You've made a big claim. It's actually one of your biggest claims to date. Uh, It's one you made years ago, and it looks like it's actually starting to play out. Uh, I wanna quote something that you wrote last week. Uh, All the once unstoppable big tech stocks are crashing, led by a 71% drop in Netflix, a 46% drop in Meta, and a 41% drop in Nvidia stock. Luke, the question is, what's causing these stocks to drop?
0: Right, yeah. So, big tech is dead is a claim that I've made multiple times before. Um, it kind of started making that claim in July of 2021. Uh, I came public with that claim. People looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, since then, those stocks have have collapsed. You've talked about some of the um, declines that we've seen across big tech stocks, and so what. Is happening. Why is big tech finally healing over? Well, we think that competition has finally caught up to big tech. So, our original thesis was simply hey, let's look at the big tech companies. Let's look at Facebook. Let's look at Amazon. Let's look at Netflix. How did they get so big? How did they get to where they got? They did that by being the category creators, the first movers in exponential growth industries. Netflix essentially made streaming TV. Facebook essentially made social media. Amazon essentially made e-commerce. They were the first movers. They created the category. And for years and years and years, they grew in these open fields without much competition. So they grew very, very rapidly and compounded that growth year after year, not to mention they did so at very attractive margins because, again, the competition was very mitigated. However, that's now changed because we are 10 plus years, 10, 15 years into these exponential growth industries social media has been around for 15 years everybody has a social media account streaming tv has been around for 10 years everybody is on streaming tv everybody subscribes to your streaming tv service e-commerce has been around for 20 years everybody now shops online well guess what because all the demand has shifted All the supply is shifting now too to chase that demand, meaning that Facebook is no longer running in open fields in social media. You have Snapchat, you have Pinterest, you have Twitter, you have TikTok, you have Reddit, you have all of these other very formidable platforms that are growing their user bases very quickly uncoincidentally Facebook is losing users for the first time in its 20-year history as a company near 20-year history as a company let's go to Netflix HBO Max YouTube TV Disney Plus Apple TV Plus Peacock I mean there are so many streaming options out there now and guess what People are signing up for those. They're liking what they're seeing. They're enjoying those services. And some of those people are now cutting Netflix. So for the first time in its history as a streaming TV company, so post 2012, Netflix is losing subscribers. Not a coincidence. Let's go to Amazon. Now all of a sudden you have, well, you've always had eBay, but now you have Etsy. Now you have Wayfair for home goods. Now you Mm. have Chewy for dog food. Now you have Carvana for cars, though you weren't really shopping for cars on Amazon.com. Related (laughs) accessories still. Um, You have all those Shopify stores, all those big commerce stores popping up. You now can shop on Pinterest. You now can shop on Snapchat. You now can shop on TikTok. So all of a sudden, the e-commerce playing field has been leveled and, uncoincidentally, Amazon's e-commerce business, its online store business, is seeing its revenues decline for the first time ever, minus 1% year over year last quarter. So you're seeing that the competition has caught up to big tech, and big tech is now not growing as quickly, and in fact, in many instances, not growing at all. And declining Netflix's user base in decline Facebook's user base in decline Amazon's e-commerce revenues in decline so you're seeing the big tech growth trajectory crest and start to come down the other side that's why the stocks are falling they were priced as unstoppable Mm -hmm. invincible tech giants that nobody was ever going to catch but guess what small disruptive tech startups are catching them and they're leaving a dent. That's bad news for big tech. That's great news for small tech because it's not like we're not watching streaming TV. It's Mm -hmm. not like we're not shopping online. It's not like we're not interacting on social media. We are, we're doing all those things more than ever before. We're just doing them less so on Facebook and more so on Snapchat and TikTok. Mm-hmm. We're just shopping less so on Amazon and more so on all those Shopify and big commerce stores. We're just watching less streaming TV on Netflix and more on Apple TV Plus, which, by the way, has some fantastic shows. I don't know if you have Apple <laughs> TV Plus, but I think they are killing Netflix in the original content game. Mm-hmm. But, anyways, the point being, we are shifting our time to those smaller players. Those smaller players are earning a bigger piece of a growing pie. That means they're gonna be growing doubly quickly. That's why I think the implication here is to ditch big tech, run into small tech. There's a change in the guard happening. You gotta get on the right side of the shift.
1: So is there something to be learned here from this phenomenon where with other emerging tech now, for example, we talk a lot about electric vehicles and energy storage and at the beginning of these emerging techs, there's going to be a leader for, with, you know, in mm-hmm. respect to electric vehicles, Tesla is the name that everybody kind of associates with electric vehicles. Can they learn from the other competition that's coming that's coming up with these big tech, so that they don't fail the same way that Netflix is seeing this drop and Amazon is seeing the drop and uh, mm-hmm. sorry, not Amazon, but uh, Meta seeing no, the it, drop.
0: Amazon is seeing a massive drop. I mean, I'm looking at let's looking at it right now. Apple is. off its recent highs. Microsoft is 19%. Google Alphabet is 24%. Amazon is 35%. Uh, NVIDIA is 44%. Meta is 47%. And Netflix is 72%. So nobody is getting spared. Mm -hmm. All of big tech is collapsing. So you're right in saying Amazon. Uh, To your point, lessons learned. Two things to learn here. One, you have to keep innovating. Mm -hmm. You have to keep innovating. If you stop innovating, you allow the competition to catch you more easily and more quickly. Meta stopped innovating a long time ago. They acquired Instagram and thought that was going to be their bread and butter. But the fact of the matter is snapchat came out with ephemeral content that was a huge hit tiktok's come out with integrating music and short form videos that's been a huge hit facebook's been playing catch up for five years now so they stopped innovating and that's why you're seeing their decline be larger than the others netflix stopped innovating their last big innovation as we talked about last week was original content back Mm -hmm. in you know 2012 13 14 15 all the way to 16 but since then they haven't really had that next breakthrough that's why the others apple T. TV, great original content. It's very easy for them to love the playing field when Netflix isn't continuing to advance itself into new areas. So you got to keep innovating. That's the first lesson here. The second lesson is that trees don't grow to the sky and companies don't grow forever. So while these companies have been growing very quickly they haven't grown quickly for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're finally reaching their peaks because competition is catching up. So when we look at the startups that we invest in today, they're not going to grow in the 2030s like they're growing in the 2020s they just simply will not mm-hmm. that's the rule of capitalism as you get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger law of large numbers you start growing less and less and less and less and less, and less quickly especially if competition is ramping up in that space because the space is very attractive industry to get into so the lesson for the companies today is one keep innovating. That's going to allow you to maintain your competitive advantage for as long as possible. And two, for investors, we have to understand these companies are not going to grow to the sky. Mm -hmm. That They're going to grow 50%, then 40%, then 30%, then 20%, then 10% then 5%, then 4%. Their growth trajectory is going to consistently decline. That's just how these things work. We have to value them accordingly. We can't value them on the assumption they're going to grow at 20 30% forever, which frankly is how a lot of these big tech stocks were being valued. That's why we were pretty bearish on them going all the way back to July
1: 2021. Mm-hmm. Are there any other stocks that you're bearish about right now with, that you're seeing the beginnings of this uh, fall? Um, Well, I think what's going on in the broader market, Aaron, is a rolling bear
0: market. Okay. Um, A lot of people are freaking out because the broader averages are collapsing here in 2022. We're in a bear market for the NASDAQ. We're in a bear market for the S&P. We're heading towards a bear market for the Dow. People are just now freaking out. But the reality is the market internals were flashing warning signs well before this. And that's how bear markets work. You don't just all of a sudden get into a bear market. like Every stock in the market collapses all at once 20%. No, what happens is you roll into it sector by sector by sector, industry by industry by industry. And it starts with oftentimes the longest duration, riskiest, farthest out assets, and it rolls into the averages. So this bear market really started in February 2021. That's when the Kathy Wood complex, the ARC complex, those hyper growth tech stocks started getting hit. Mm -hmm. They got they've been in a bear market. That yeah. rolled over into other tech stocks. November 21 is when we started to see a peak in the sales forces, the docu signs, the, mm-hmm. uh, the more established, larger cap tech stocks. And now it's rolling into cyclicals, it's rolling mm-hmm. into defensive, it's rolling into the large cap, the mega, mega caps, so the big techs. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing this rolling bear market play out, and now it's hitting the broader averages. Mm-hmm. What this means, though, is that not only do markets tend to roll into bear markets, mm-hmm. they also tend to roll out of them. So that while the rest of the market may struggle in the for, the for the foreseeable future, there are certain pockets of the market that should soar because they've already had their bear market and now they're ready to roll out of it before the rest of the market does. That's hyper growth tech. That's kind of the riskier assets. Anything that's already been washed out, we're pretty Mm -hmm. bullish on because we think that the broaders, the majors are due for some more weakness Mm -hmm. amidst that weakness, the stuff that's already washed out could surge. And we saw this in 2001. When the markets were crashing, a lot of the internet darlings actually bottomed in around March or April of 2001. Mm-hmm. The rest of the market didn't bottom until late 2002. During that stretch, the S&P 500, the Dow, the NASDAQ, they all lost about 25 30%. Yet certain internet stocks that had already been washed out actually doubled over that time frame. those stocks being stocks like Amazon. So you saw that happen in that recession, that market crash, that market slowed down. You saw it happen in 2008, 2009, too. A lot of the internet stocks, cloud stocks, tech stocks, they actually bottomed in around November of 2008. The broader market continued to struggle in December of 2008, January of 2009, February of 2009, didn't bottom until March of 09. During that stretch, the Dow Jones dropped about 10 11 12%. But certain tech stocks, again, like Amazon, like Netflix, like Salesforce, actually rallied 50% or more during that stretch. So we've seen it time and time again that during market slowdowns, during bear markets, which normally roll in and roll out, mm. there comes a moment in time when the majors – keep moving lower, but the hypergrowth stuff, the tech stuff starts to move higher and that spread can be pretty large. We're talking back in 01, 02, 25% drop versus 100% gain. So it's make or break time in markets and we think people have to be really smart in how they position themselves. They should only get into stocks that are super washed out already and not look for the things that have been strong to remain strong. We think the rolling
1: bear market's going to get everything. It's going to roll everywhere. That's our thesis right now. Gotcha. So I'm assuming that this, the rolling bear market, as you're talking about, it plays a role in something that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Uh, This, this research that you've been doing in something that you're calling the divergence. Uh, I know that you're kind of finalizing all those, the aspects of that research. Right. Um, What's the latest with that? And can you tell us anything more about it?
0: Right. So divergence is the most exciting market phenomenon I've ever come across. And I've ever researched just carte Blanc that's what it is um, we've talked about it before we'll be quick about the recap yep. uh, stock prices and fundamentals should correlate and always do correlate will almost always do correlate uh, the correlation between a stock price and its revenues the company's revenues is about 0.88 over the past three to four decades. Uh, stock price and earnings correlation is about 0.93 over the past three to four decades. So you're talking about a correlation between stock price and fundamentals about 0.9. If a company's revenues and earnings trend higher, the stock price should too. If the company's revenues and earnings go lower, the stock price should too. Pretty simple thinking. Every once in a while, you get big breaks in that correlation. That break is what we're calling a divergence. When that divergence gets gets especially large, we're calling that a divergence phenomenon. Mm-hmm. During those divergence phenomenon, so long as the company's revenues and earnings continue to go up the stock price rebounds significantly snaps back to that revenue and earnings that fundamental growth trend line and historically speaking when these phenomenon emerge such as 1988, 2001, 2008 during periods of peak market volatility when investors are freaking out that this company's not going to grow because the economy is going to collapse that company does end up continuing to grow regardless stock price bounces back in an enormous way when that happens the returns tend to be about 150% over 12 months, around 10 times over five years, and really, really, you know, multi thousand percent gains if you look out 10, 15, 20 years. So, we're talking a phenomenal once in a decade buying opportunity, and we're seeing this phenomenon emerge right now today in those very hyper growth tech stocks that we've been talking about. So, it really plays into this idea of hey, We rolled into a bear market. We're about to roll out these divergent stocks. These stocks that have diverged significantly from their fundamentals are already washed out, are ready to hit that play button and start soaring while the rest of the market continues to struggle. That's what we think happens over the next few months. So we're really bullish on this divergence opportunity right now. We think the time to buy, the perfect time to buy is rapidly approaching and we're doing all the research we can to find the best stocks to capitalize on that opportunity stocks that have been completely blown out have a great short-term catalyst Mm -hmm. have a great long-term growth trajectory i'm looking for some insider buying i'm looking for favorable cash flows i'm looking for a dirt cheap valuation when i see that that's a type of stock that i'm really going all in on right now because i think there's a huge opportunity for those stocks to double or triple over the next 12 months and this is the one time to buy it for multi thousand percent returns in a long time horizon. So, I honestly, Aaron, I've been bullish a lot of times in my career. I have never been more bullish than I am right now. I think it's the timing could not be more perfect. The opportunities cannot be bigger.
1: I am, yeah, I'm foaming at the mouth, dude. <laughs> foaming at the mouth. Now, I I know that you and I are both on the same mind with this with regards to this podcast. We want to make sure that our listeners get as much as they can out of you from your insights into the market. But this divergence research that you're talking about right now, if our listeners wanted to find it, where can they find it?
0: Yeah, so what we try not to do in this podcast is make it a sales pitch. I, you know, we don't want to plug in links and have you go and buy stuff. That's that's not the style we're going for here. We want this to be for educational purposes, for entertainment purposes, to really just help people get a, a grasp on the markets. But having said that, if I'm gonna throw one link at you, it's gonna be this link, and it's the only link I'm gonna throw at you for the whole year. I promise you that because this is a phenomenal opportunity. Um, I'm gonna be doing an emergency bot broadcast. Uh, to people who sign up for what we're calling the Divergence 2022 watch list. And I'm going to go over exactly what's going on with this divergence phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell people exactly what I'm seeing, what my charts are showing, what my models are showing, what the data is showing. I'm going to walk people through the previous divergences of 1988, of 2001, of 2008. I'm going to show them what happened then, why it was so amazing, and what the returns look like over the next 12, 30, 24, and 36 months. And then I'm going to show people exactly what stocks I'm looking at right now, my top 10 picks for the divergence 2022 that I think can score fantastic returns over the next, again, 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. These are stocks that I believe, even if the market crashes, even if we take a 20% spill lower in the S&P, which is possible. Mm -hmm. Even if we do that, I think these stocks are still going to soar because that's exactly what happened in 2001 and 2008 during the previous two divergences. The markets continue to spill lower, but certain divergent stocks, high-quality divergent stocks, soared. I think we're on the cusp of history repeating itself. That's why I'm super bullish on this. That's why I'm never going to throw a link at you (laughs) except for this one, Because I think it's one opportunity that people need to be paying attention to right now. It's the only thing in my mind that matters
1: in the markets today is capitalizing on this phenomenon. Gotcha. And we will definitely put that link in the description. And our listeners can always head on on over to investorplace.com to see some of Luke's other insights. Um, But one of the insights I want to get from you right now, uh, shifting gears a little bit, is uh, you were actually here in Baltimore uh, for another project uh, that we were working on together. Uh, And we got a chance to uh, take a look at um, something that I honestly never thought I would get a chance to take a look at uh, because of all the hype that it's getting in um, in entertainment projects like uh, the Disney Plus series, the Mandalorian uh, and the Boba Fett Mm -hmm. series. It's the first to introduce this new technology. Um, And yet, lo and behold, the where we shot your um, one of your recent projects, uh, we got to experience it firsthand. Um, Extended reality. Is the te- what the technology is called? Um, before we kind of get into to some of the uh, the investment trends of it, how cool was it just to kind of be in that space? I mean, you can you can tell them
0: yourself, Aaron. I mean, it was awesome, right? It's so they call it XR for short, extended reality, and it is it's mind-boggling what you can do with this stuff. It will fundamentally reshape production. As we know it. So production today is mostly done either on site. So if I want to film a beer commercial, uh, me drinking on the beach, we're going to go down to Mexico and we're going to film it. So that has a lot of production costs that has uh, high travel cost. Um, the weather is not always accommodating for that. It really squeezes your time. Let's say you want a sunset. You need to make sure you get the perfect shot at that sunset mm-hmm. on Tuesday evening. And if you don't, you got to do it the next Wednesday. You got to wait a full 24 hours, pay for hotels again that whole night. So there's a lot that goes into on-site production. Then there's green screen stuff, which is, you know, let's just shoot somebody in front of a green screen. And then in post-production – add in all the stuff behind them to make it look like they're there to make it look like it's real. Um, the problems with that are that that's a tremendous post-production lift Mm. and it's never perfect. Um, (laughs) as you know, as somebody who works in this, it's a very difficult science, uh, to get green screen, even close to perfect, even 80% perfect. Yeah. We're going to lose some flyaway hairs. The lighting's not always right because you have to actually set up the lighting yourself in the, studio Mm -hmm. and it has to match what's going to be on the green screen that is a very tough matching process so there are a lot of things that can and do go wrong with green screens what xr is is the next evolution of those two things so xr basically at least the one we looked at and there are many ways to configure it but i'll explain the one we saw it's like this amphitheater setup Mm -hmm. of these these screens these panels these large panels that are vertical oriented side by side by side by side by side to create this semicircle amphitheater looking screen what they do is they connect that screen to a software engine like unreal engine or unity software and they plug the screens into extended reality environment so if you want to film a Beach commercial, uh, you know, drinking beer at the beach, going back to that example, they can basically buy a virtual environment of a beach, a mm-hmm. real beach, or they could buy a still picture of a beach mm-hmm. that is moving. Maybe it's a GIF, maybe it's animated, who knows what it is. Whatever you want, they can literally buy it, download it, and render it onto these panels. So it looks like you are truly at the beach, they can get the lighting perfect because it's attached to the screens. Mm -hmm. They can always control the weather. Let's say you wanna do a commercial that is night and day, you could shoot the day part in the studio and then 30 minutes later, two minutes later, 30 seconds later, Mm -hmm. film the night part. Um, You wanna do a time lapse, they can make it time lapse from day to night and you're just sitting in your chair drinking at the beach. (laughs) and they have these these dots that are kind of in the physical space that orient the cameras and so that when you're viewing it from a viewer's perspective, it truly looks like that person is in that environment. If you want to do something that looks hyper real, you want to put them in a virtual world, you want to put them in a video game, you want to put them in something like that, you can absolutely do that as well. You can literally render any environment onto these screens and put the person in the studio in that environment. You wanna put them in space, you can put them in space. You wanna put them in the great Pyramids of Egypt, you can put them in the great Pyramids of Egypt. You wanna put them uh, on a beach in the Caribbean, you can do that. Wherever you wanna put them, you can put them. You wanna put them in the Avatar world, you wanna put them on a Star Wars planet, you wanna put them in an office building. Whatever you want, you can render on these screens. It is amazing, it is super, super cool technology. And it is unequivocally of the future, not just because it's super cool and amazing, but because it has enormous business benefits, mm-hmm. costs, and time. Mm-hmm. That's what production is about. All production teams want to reduce cost and reduce time to market. This is that. You mm-hmm. don't have to pay for travel, you don't have to worry about weather. You can do this whole thing with a very small crew. And your production time is very, very small. There's almost nothing in post. You don't have to go through and do the green screen edits. You don't have to go through and edit for lighting and weather adjustments and all that stuff if you were on site. Everything is controlled as you film it with the rendering engine, so post does not take that long at all. Huge cost and time benefits. That's why this is the future of Hollywood. This is the future of commercials. Mm. This is the future of interviews. This is the future of anything visual that you're seeing where somebody is not where they actually are. This is the future of that production. It is a huge industry. It's really
1: exciting. And I'm so glad we got to see it firsthand, Aaron. No, it definitely was. I think one of the things that stood out to me was just high, how highly customizable the the products were so you talk about we can go to a beach, we can go to the moon, we can go wherever we want. But even in the the office settings, he the they were demonstrating how they could change the arrangement of chairs, they can change the arrangement of the lighting, they can remove a pipe from the screen that, that, that they didn't yep. like. So it was really just from, you know, a produ- from a producer standpoint an amazing experience to have one that one I never thought I would have and yet lo and behold where we decided to shoot our Uh, this project was happened to be in this studio. Um, But what I want to kind of ask next is, what are this being an investment podcast? What are the investment opportunities uh, here with this technology? It is an emerging technology, as you know, we talk about a lot of emerging technologies. Uh, What what are some of the 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 you mentioned uh, Unreal being one uh, possibly, but I believe so. What are some of the investment opportunities here?
0: Right. So there there are two investment opportunities. Uh, One is the – well, I guess there are multiple investment opportunities. The two that are most attractive to me is one, the capture technology and two, the rendering technology. Mm -hmm. So on the capture side, it's companies that are creating technology which allows the developers to capture – Uh, certain environments because a lot of these environments are made in the virtual world and they're just completely made up basically Mm -hmm. but a lot of them are also actual environments it's like putting yourself around the empire state building or getting a view from the empire state building or putting you at the great pyramids of egypt or at a coffee shop in paris a lot of these environments are real world capture so there's an immense lift there to capture those spaces And virtualize them in a way that can be used for this this reason, for this extended reality production. So really bullish on companies that are building technologies for capturing this data, this real-world data to be virtualized in the Mm -hmm. XR setting. The second type of company I'm talking about is the the rendering software. So in order to actually put these environments – Onto a screen, to project them, to make Mm -hmm. them appear real, to allow them to move. If you need them to move, you need a software that kind of connects the dots. Mm -hmm. That's the rendering software. Those are the gaming engines. That's Unreal Engine. That's Unity. We think those are really cool technologies that are exceptionally – they are mission critical. Uh not exceptionally important. They are mission critical to XR being what it can be and what it is that's that's the centerpiece of it so capture rendering we think those are the two ways to play the um the xr boom awesome
1: uh any any other impressions i like again i hope that we get a chance to shoot some more stuff there and uh, again maybe do some metaverse stuff maybe potentially uh, i hope so man i really hope so that was the coolest studio
0: i have ever seen um and i want to go back there and i want to film a lot of cool stuff
1: that that was fun that, that was, was fun.
0: very fun
1: uh switching gears again a little bit uh into our market check-in uh right. let's just start with the big three that like we usually do china russia fed anything new to report there uh, it's all about the
0: Fed right now, Aaron. It's all about the Fed. The
1: war okay. in Russia or the
0: war in Ukraine, sorry, continues to drag on, and mm. it's not escalating nor de-escalating. It's localizing and getting more intense in the areas where the fighting is occurring. There's a lot of tit for tat going on, but it's it's just kind of like it, it's a drag that the markets have just accepted. Okay, Okay, so we have it. We got to live with it. It's not going away. Let's learn how to adjust from it. Okay. Uh, COVID-19 in China, lockdowns keep happening. They're not really getting better. This is also becoming a drag that the markets are just learning to accept and move on from. So right now, the wild card is the Fed. It all comes back to the stinking Fed. The masters (laughs) of the financial universe that control everything about everything, it all comes back to them. And I think what we're seeing right now is – We talked about this last week, I believe, I think we did, is Wall Street trying to just shake the Fed and wake them up. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, guys, um, do you see what's going on? Mm -hmm. Do you see the war in Ukraine? Do you see the COVID lockdowns in China? Do you see that we printed a negative GDP uh, growth rate in Q1. Do you see the consumer sentiments at all time lows? Do you see that investor sentiments at all time lows? Well, if you don't see that, then maybe you'll see this bear market and stocks, bear yeah. market and stocks, bear market in stocks. Um, <laughs> they're just trying to send a message to them is to say, hey, cool your engines. Mm-hmm. Relax. We get you want to fight inflation. But don't sound so hawkish. Don't sound like you're going to hike 50 basis points for the rest of the year because if you do, you're going to crush everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that message is going to be well received. I think the Fed is going to hear it and is going to respond by taking a dovish pivot. Do I think that happens this month in the May meeting? probably not. Mm -hmm. They're married to a 50-bip hike. They're going to hike 50 bips, probably. That's my guess. Um, And they're probably going to sound still pretty hawkish because not enough damage has been done in the markets. But we think more damage is going to be done, and the Fed's probably going to pivot dovish by June or July, at which point we're going to get a face-melting rally over the next 12 months. So our thesis remains very, very much the same as it was last week. Shoppiness until the Fed (laughs) pivots dovish. When they do pivot dovish, and we do think this is a matter of when, not if, Mm -hmm. when they pivot dovish, massive melt up into 2023, into the second half of 2023, at which point we would reassess the risk because we think that if we do get a massive melt up there, things could get a little risky and that could lead us into a crash. But for now, we see choppy trading into a melt up. We're playing that by buying the chop waiting for the melt-up, and we'll sell at the end of that melt-up. So we're pretty bullish where we stand today, honestly, even though we do expect the majors to keep taking it on the chin over
1: the next <laughs> few weeks. Uh, and it's still earnings season. Uh, what's your latest read on earnings? Any Anything else upcoming? Anything happened in the last yeah, week we so, talked? Yeah, so earnings have been pretty good. Um, okay. uh, let me get the exact numbers for you right now. I think
0: about 55 56% uh no i'm sorry eighty percent of the s and p no sorry you're right fifty five percent of S&P companies have reported actual results um eighty percent of beat on earnings seventy two percent of beat on revenues mm-hmm. um you know those are those are pretty good numbers uh average growth seven point one percent versus expected of uh four point seven percent so we're seeing Pretty sizable beats. We're seeing beats across the board and we're seeing positive stock reactions to a lot of those beats. Um, so I think earnings season has been pretty good. Underlying what am I hearing in, from management commentary? Inflation's a problem, mm-hmm. but the consumer is so strong that we're able to pass that inflation onto the consumer without it impacting demand. So Mm -hmm. our revenues are going up and we're preserving our margins, meaning our earnings are going up. Supply chains are disrupted still, but they're improving pretty substantially. Mm -hmm. Um, Consumers are spending a lot of money on going out activities, travel, clothes, shoes, they want to get out and do things. There's a lot of pent up energy for that. The solar market's pretty healthy, despite the the overhang of tariffs, the tariff investigation that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. A lot of solar companies reported numbers and said, "Hey, U.S. demand is still pretty solid. Europe demand booming." So, solar industry looks pretty good. Um, the PayPal, Visa's, Mastercards, of the world given pretty good reads on consumer spending which is interesting cuz consumer sentiment is super low but consumer spending is still pretty strong you know that that's that's pretty interesting mm-hmm. so i think by and large looking at it from head to toe the earnings season was pretty good uh, underscoring a us economy that's still pretty strong mm-hmm. um, can it withstand the amount of rate hikes the fed is talking about no but can it withstand a few rate hikes? Yes, which mm-hmm. is why we need the Fed to pivot dovish. Keep hiking rates, but don't talk like you're about to you know, just destroy the economy with rate hikes. Mm-hmm. And then I think that sets a backdrop for stocks to move higher. So I'm pretty happy with what I've heard in earnings season so far um, outside of the big tech companies. Again, mm-hmm. the big tech companies appear to be falling apart uh microsoft (laughs) is an exception and apple is an exception Mm -hmm. okay they don't really have competition no one's making a better mousetrap when it comes to the smartphone market apple's Mm -hmm. got that market on lock we're not seeing competition kill them microsoft is crushing it in the cloud is crushing it in software productivity there Mm -hmm. is very little competition there they're not seeing their growth rates take take a hit at all. So those two stocks are kind of exceptions here. The rest of big tech, I think, is really struggling. So they've had a bad earnings season. Everybody else has had a good, good earnings season. On the whole, that makes me bullish on certain sectors of the market, but not the market as a whole, because mm. the market as a whole is market cap weighted, meaning it's going to follow those trillion-dollar companies. Those trillion-dollar companies go up, the market's going up. They go down, the market's going down. Index funds tough investment because it's of its of their reliance on big tech. Let's look for opportunities below the index level. Stock market, not market of stocks. Let's find the particular stocks that are going to work here.
1: Gotcha. Any other surprises coming out of earnings season? Something that caught your attention that didn't you weren't expecting? Um.
0: You know, not not really. Not that I can think. I'm trying to think of, you know, kind of the big shock. The big shocks were on big tech, and we saw a big yeah. tech demise coming. Mm-hmm. So, we weren't really shocked by that. Outside of that, it's been pretty pretty solid um, and pretty
1: as expected from our perspective. Gotcha. All right. Uh, well, shifting gears to our crypto, crypto check-in. Uh, anything new in the crypto world?
0: Um, yeah. So, cryptos just, I mean, they continue, Aaron. They continue to... <laughs> have this super strong, unbreaking correlation with equities, especially with growth equities. Like that's just, that's what has been, that's what is, and that's likely what will continue to be. Bitcoin Mm -hmm. is not being treated like gold. Cryptos are not being treated like safe haven assets. They're not being treated like commodities. They're not being treated like bonds. They're not being treated Mm -hmm. like income generators. They're not being treated like blue chip stocks. They're being treated like growth stocks. Mm -hmm. That's just what it is. So that's why if I'm a crypto investor, I'm paying particularly close attention to the divergence phenomenon Mm -hmm. because let's say I'm a crypto investor. I own 12 cryptos and nothing else. Why would I care about some divergence phenomenon in stocks? Because your cryptos have displayed an uncanny correlation, an unbreakable correlation With the stocks that are at the epicenter of the divergence. Mm -hmm. So by understanding the divergence phenomenon, by understanding what types of stocks are going to win big as a result of this divergence phenomenon, by understanding the timing around the catalyst in the divergence phenomenon, you're going to have a better handle on what your crypto portfolio is going to do because they're going to track those divergent stocks. Mm -hmm. And to that end, we actually think that cryptos are in for a pretty – Good run after a flush out, we think mm-hmm. there's going to be the flush out like we see in the in the stock market happening, mm-hmm. but then we see that melt up, and we actually believe that melt up goes into the two year sort of bitcoin having bull market where yeah. cryptos rally in the twelve months before the having and they rally twelve months after the having the havings march twenty twenty four so you get the march twenty three then you have the twelve month prior having, and then you get the twelve month post having it takes you to march twenty five so We think that we could be due for one final wipeout in cryptos, at which point you're going to get a seminal buying opportunity during this divergence phenomenon, mind you, Mm -hmm. that will carry cryptos probably higher for the next three plus years. So I think that's a really exciting value prop if you are a crypto investor at the current moment. But again, you got to get plugged into the divergence because that's going to tell you the timing around when these cryptos are going to start breaking out again.
1: Awesome. Uh, well, that's it for our topics today. Uh, but I do want to have a few fan questions. Uh, CS low, CS low, uh, friend of the show. Uh, says, hey, Aaron, Luke, another great episode. Uh, An hour and 15 minutes is still too short. Not sure about that one. Uh, But thanks for the very reassuring answer on open. Uh, My question, uh, Luke talked about the perfect five, five, five out of five score on previous trends when the yield curve inversed, following by choppy trading, then melt up, then recession slash crash. As we are approaching one right now, what should investors do during choppy trading phase? Should we hold, buy, sell? What are the indicators to watch out for that are signaling a melt-up? And lastly, what to watch out for before a recession crash, i.e. how to get out before a crash happens? Many thanks, CS.
0: Great, great, great questions, fabulous questions. So as far as timing the melt-up, timing the market's impossible, I can't really tell you exactly when that's going to happen. I do think, one, it is a fantastic time to get into those washed-out hyper-growth stocks because Mm. while they might continue to bleed a little bit here, they might drop another 10%, 20%. Their 12-month upside potential is enormous, and they're going to turn around before the market turns around. Mm-hmm. That's what's happened during previous inversions into choppiness, into melt-ups. Those washed-out sectors always turn around first. So mm-hmm. I would roll into those puppies first. That's the first thing. Second thing, what am I looking for for when you're going to get that real melt-up? One of the things we are looking at – can you see my screen over here, Aaron, at all?
1: Yes, but I don't, we're not going to be able to see anything very specific.
0: All right. Well, here I, here I got um, the percent of stocks in the market trading above their 20-day moving average. Okay. And right now, we're right around 15%. What I want to see – excuse me, man. <clears throat> what I want to see there is I want to see a break in that portion of stocks trading above their 20-day average. I want to see a break below 10%. I want mm-hmm. to see that break into single digits because that's going to tell me there's capitulation. That's going to tell me there's a lot of fear and that's going to tell me it's time to buy. That's the the blood on the streets, time to get greedy. That's mm. that point. You can see that during previous big market crashes, capitulation moments, we broke below that 10%. We broke below that 10% during the COVID crisis back in early in March 2020. We broke during December 2018 when we had that big market wipeout with Wall Street telling the Fed, hey, wake up. So we saw that break below 10%. We saw a break below 10% earlier that year in February 2018. We saw a break below 20% around January 2016, before we had pretty big melt-ups in 2017, 2018. So we're seeing that consistently capitulations tend to happen when you get a break below 10% on the percent of stocks above their 20-day average. We're at 15% now, so we still got a ways to go. But In a volatile trading market like we are in right now, all you need is one or two bad days and you're below 10%. If we break below 5%, that is the ultimate contrarian buying indicator. That's only happened during March 2020, Mm COVID-19, and back in 2011 during the European debt crisis. Both were fabulous buying opportunities. I believe it also happened – Yeah, but also happened during 2008, October 08. Remember, I told you October 08 was close to a bottom for those hypergrowth tech stocks. Ironic Uh, timing, no, purely lines up. So we also broke below 5% then. So what we're waiting to see in terms of pure capitulation for that melt-up is a break below 10% to get mm -hmm. pretty bullish. And if we break below 5 not guaranteed, but if we do, that would be all hands in, let's go. Uh, So that's what we're waiting for in terms of indicators. On the backside of this melt-up, Worries about a crash. What we'd be worried about is when the VIX collapses. So right now, the VIX is too elevated for us to be at a market top. It's just way too elevated. The VIX is pushing 35, 40. That's not where the VIX usually goes, usually is when markets top off. Markets top off normally with the VIX around 10. So once the VIX collapses, recollapses, and all these fears disappear, that's when we'll start to get scared. On the back half of this melt-up, we're going to be looking for the VIX to drop to 10. If -hmm. the VIX gets down to 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, in that range, we're going to start being worried about, hey, people aren't worried enough. They need Mm -hmm. to be more worried. That's when we would start to be looking to take some profits off the table. That's a long ways down the road. So, no need to worry about that today. But that is what we are
1: watching as we see this next 12 to 18 months play out. And uh, my answer to CS would just be to continue listening to hypergrowth investing each week. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Exactly. Uh, And our boy, Rob Norman, Luke, with GDP showing a 1.4% decline, will this affect the Fed's plan? rate hikes that's a
0: fantastic question um no the short answer is no Mm -hmm. and the reason it is no is because the bad gdp print in q1 was all due to kind of this anomalous trade deficit that's not really indicative of u.s economic expansion the things that really are indicative of u.s economic expansion is consumer spending and business investment. Both of those were very robust in Q1. That's what the Fed's paying attention to. So you strip away this anomalous trade deficit and Q1 Mm -hmm. GDP was pretty strong. So the Q1 GDP print was not bad enough to really get the Fed to be like, oh, let's not hike rates, which is why the market continues to send stocks lower. If that Mm Q1 GDP print had been really bad, then stocks wouldn't have gone lower because okay. it would have been like okay that is bad enough for the fed to be like okay let's back <laughs> off court which is why you kind of saw when that q1 gdp print came out we kind of had this relief rally a little bit yeah. the, there was actually a melt up in stocks a brief melt up and then the very next day we the nasdaq lost 4% the s&p dropped 3% the dow lost 1000 points right so uh-huh. Uh, basically, Wall Street was like, maybe that's bad enough. Uh, nope, it's not bad enough. We got to keep sending our message. So, no, that print alone is not going to get the Fed to budge. What will get the Fed to budge is a combination of factors. That combination of factors is one, inflation readings need to start decelerating. Two, uh, you need to get more economic prints like that uh, in Q2. Three, you need stocks to collapse. Mm Uh, once you get all three of those, then the fed turns dovish Until then, the fed probably stays hawkish. We're confident you're going to get one. We're confident you're going to get two. Now we just need three to come and play. Mm -hmm. And three is controlled by big money on wall street. So we think big money on wall street is saying, yeah, the fed's going to get one and two. Let's send them three. Let's give Uh them an beyond a shadow of a doubt, a reason to go dovish so that we can secure a longer term bull market. Um, So I think that's what's going on right now. Q1 GDP print, kind of irrelevant. Watch stock market
1: action. As always, another great discussion, Luke. Uh, I don't think we're quite hitting that hour and a half mark that uh, CS Lowe wants us to hit. Um, (laughs) But do you have any last words before we wrap?
0: Aaron, I do. Um, And those last words are simply that while I understand that it's a volatile market, that it's a scary market, that it's a spooky market for some, this is also a very exciting time for investors because stocks go up and to the right. They have an upward bias they appreciate over time. Every once in a while, once in a decade, once every few years, you get a generational buying opportunity to buy low in the stock market. We think that time is happening right now. And what's super exciting is that this is the first time in my investment career I've been through crashes. I've been through recessions. I've been through tough times. This is the first time I'm going to go through one of those market crises knowing about the divergence phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as we know, my team and I are the first to discover the divergence phenomenon. No one else has really pinpointed exactly this split between stock prices mm-hmm. and fundamentals and quantified it and developed a strategy to identify it and capitalize on it. So, this is the first time anybody's really done this stuff. Meaning, from our perspective, we're heading into a market crisis with the secret weapon yeah. With the project, with, with Weapon X, you know, the X factor <laughs> that is going to allow us to not just successfully navigate through the market volatility, but successfully turn the market volatility into personal fortunes, into opportunity, into huge returns. And we intend to do just that. We firmly, firmly believe, and I stand by this claim, that people who buy these divergent stocks today. Around today, this week, this month, around this time period, will stand to potentially make a lot of money in 12 months, Mm -hmm. a lot of money in three years, a lot of money in five years, and a lot of money in 10 years, like truly life-changing money. We're talking about the opportunity to buy world-changing companies at prices that people may never see again, like mm-hmm. buying Netflix at five bucks, like buying uh-huh. Amazon at five bucks, like buying Microsoft at 40 cents and Apple at 20 cents. Those are the types of opportunities that we truly believe people are seeing right now. Now that's not to say that these stocks won't go down another 10 or 20% over the next one to three months. They, mm-hmm. they might, they very well might, but who cares? Because in a 12-month window, in a three-year window, in a five-year window, a 20% drawdown here is going to be meaningless if you plan- intend to make multi-bagger returns on your investment. That's exactly what we think these stocks can do. So this is the most relevant, mm-hmm. the most powerful, and the most important market phenomenon I've ever researched, talked about analyzed and now i'm sharing with people and that's why you know aaron when you and i set out to make this podcast we agreed this is not going to be a sales podcast. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. going to sell people. We're not going to just throw links at people that we're not even going to really talk about my products all that much. I mean, we mentioned it maybe once an episode, if that in fleeting yeah. fashion, we don't do that here. That's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about entertainment. This podcast is about education. This podcast is about doing, doing things right for the people. Don't yeah. sell them. Give them information. Give them advice. Allow them to, to take that and freely do what they want. That's what this is about. Mm-hmm. But we're making one exception today. And this is the first and last time I will ever do this because I truly believe this is, this is the one opportunity everybody needs to be plugged into. Mm-hmm. And I am going to talk about this opportunity in depth this week. Historical divergences. The returns they've created, what we're seeing today, the exact stocks that we're buying, Uh this is the opportunity you need to be plugged into today. So we are going to, for the first and last time, plug in that link and allow people to plug into this opportunity because they need to. It's the difference between potentially losing 20 30% and making 100% or more. Mm. It's a make or break moment. I need you guys to be plugged into that. (laughs) <laughs> um, and that's, the last, that, that's the last time I will ever, yeah. ever, ever throw a sales pitch in here. You have my
1: word on that.
0: <laughs> well, I, again, life.
1: Life. I know I'm excited to, again, we've been talking about the divergence for the last, uh, few weeks and I'm excited to hear your thoughts in this, you know, very unique presentation. Uh, again, the link is in the description, uh, for, you can also head on over to investorplace.com, um, for all the details. And, uh, to your point, Luke, you know, I think that it's the, educational value of this podcast, you know, certainly merits where if it's something that you're passionate about to this degree that, you know, I'm, I feel comfortable plugging it for, for our listeners and our viewers. Um, and I want to thank all our listeners and our viewers, uh, for, for listening this week and every week. Uh, and if you have any questions or comments for Luke, uh, please leave them in our comments section. We'd love to hear your feedback on any topics you'd like us to cover. And again, to see if we can answer any of your burning questions until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. Bye all.